Welcome, uh, Ruchira, first of all. And before I begin, let me thank Pachi. Quite very, very enthusiastic, and it was well prepared. And whatsoever you said is absolutely true when it comes to our guests today. Uh, and before I begin, Rusira, let me talk a little about Orange City Literature Festival. This is the third year for us. And I must admit one thing, even in the period of pandemic, it did not stop. Last year also we did it. And we did it as per the new norms of the pandemic. And it was also a very successful event. And this year we are glad that you are also one of the very key speakers who are gracing this particular event. Arushira, before I begin with my questions, because there are lots of questions I have, but I have very, you know, the very first question that comes to my mind, like from corporate experience, and then you are getting into the academics, and again, you are quite successful, the kind of uh, institute you are affiliated with, and you've been uh, teaching there, uh, creating a lot of young managers, young leaders. So just let me know how this journey began and from where did you feel like switching or maybe just shuffling in these two, please. Thank you, Dushar. Thank you also, Prachi, for those kind words. That was a very long introduction. So I was a little worried people would go to sleep, but <laughs> you were at it and you were, Dushar said you were super well prepared. So thank you. And I feel very privileged and honored to be invited today to the Orange City Literature Festival. So happy that I can contribute uh, my insights and my views. So it's a long story, Tushar. I have to, um, I'm going to tell you, give you the highlights because, uh, you know, we could stay here all day. <laughs> I, um, so I started my life in uh, a very different field, actually. I was, um, when I got out of college, I was in advertising for a couple of years. I used to work for a firm called Lintas, which is now, the name has changed over many, many years. So I, I don't know what, it, I can't remember what it's called right now, but it's one of those leading, leading advertising agencies. Okay. And some, somewhere along the line, while I was still doing that, I got a call from a consulting outfit. They were doing human resource consulting and they really wanted a diverse set of skills. And they said, uh, I was a bit disillusioned with this whole notion of um, selling uh, Pepsodent uh, toothbrushes and paste, etc. And uh, when this call came, I thought, okay, let's explore it. So I guess the key to all of these little uh, endeavors in my life have been opening my mind to possibilities opportunities came my way and I said, okay, let's think about it. So I got into a space, which I knew nothing about human resource consulting. And, uh, and the beginnings were a bit troubled because obviously I was the outsider who didn't know uh, any better, but I think a lot of it was really, um, uh, I guess some, some amount of resilience in terms of saying, Hey, you know, I'm not going to give this up, but also really educating myself, being more aware, um, understanding the domain, the industry, but also adding my own value as I went along, right? So okay. at the time when I came on board, uh, this post-merger integration, MA, employee engagement were just very new age terms, big fad, right? But while I was around, we really sort of took those terms to the next level. We wrote some white papers. I did interesting assignments on it. So I think it's also about finding your own niche and doing something interesting, something that helps you evolve the current narrative, right? So that's how I started. I got into the HR consulting space. Uh, it was a very interesting five years. Then around the time TCS was uh, going public and I had, I, you know, the Tata group was a client of mine. So I'd met them a few times and the, they were looking for somebody who could bring in skills that would help them, you know, uh, let the organization really brand themselves inside out and 
really also take their people along. So okay. they carved out a new role for me. I became part of the IPO and I started doing a lot of work overseas after that. So it's just been a interesting journey, right? And I've just sort of moved from one opportunity to another. And then at some point I decided that I wanted to consult for my own. Um, last job, uh, I got a call from the University of Chicago. They said, hey, come and be a coach for us. So I kind of laughed at them. And I'm telling you the story because I wrote a book on coaching. And I said, oh, I can't be the coach. Uh, I'm a strategy consultant. I don't do all these things. Coaching is very fluffy. It's very first, very fluid. But they said, come give it a shot. You know, we'd love to have somebody like you because um, I went to the same business school, right? I studied there. So they said, you understand what goes on inside the classroom. You understand, you know, the strategy and you understand all the hard skills. And somebody like you could seamlessly marry that with the softer aspects, right? That leaders truly lack. So it was an experiment in 2013. And I guess the experiment was successful. So I went on to teach many more classes on coaching and leadership and eventually wrote a book that Penguin Random House commissioned last year. Okay, okay, very interesting journey. In fact, and I must admire and appreciate one fact that you kept on exploring yourself. You kept on finding out something new, which was not very well known to you. You prepared yourself as you rightly said, then finding the niche area and then finally getting into the area probably which you are enjoying uh, and uh, doing and working here, right? Uh, my next question is more as you ended your question with a book, right? My next question is definitely on the th same thing. What prompted you to write a book and that one coaching and leadership? That's something which you really wish to know. Yeah, that's why, you know, I, I, I knew we'd get into more details, so I wanted to stop short. Uh, so 2013, I was working for a large financial services organization. Uh, I don't, I don't name the firm anywhere. I put it in the book as well, but I, it was also a time when it was a very turbulent time in my career when I realized that I wasn't really growing, right? I didn't have any bosses or people who were adding value to me. In fact, there was complete lack of any kind of coaching or enablement. It was not a great place to be. And, uh, but I also know what good looks like because all my years of consulting or being uh, in organizations, I've had great bosses, but I've also had great clients. I've had people who've really taken me along the journey. And I really did not like where I was. And I, that's the time when the University of Chicago, as I was telling you, called me and said, hey, come be our executive coach. And as I was telling you the story, I laughed and I said, no, no, this is not for me. But I did go ahead and take it as an experiment. And what I found really, in essence, what is coaching? Coaching is really the act of providing people a lot more clarity, right? I'm going to show you my book uh, just for a minute because you know, I, I really gave Penguin a hard time with the graphic, but it's come out okay in the end. Think of this as a really big knot, right? It's a big knot. And given all our lives and all the stresses and everything that's going on, our thoughts become very big knots. There's so much noise in the system. So what does a coach do? A coach unravels that knot, just untangles it, but they don't stop there, right? Even a therapist can give you that. A coach will take you higher, like the arrow shows you. The, Coaching takes you higher and makes you become a better version of yourself. And that's what I realized when I started coaching a lot of these senior leaders, that I was giving them the clarity. I was helping untangle those knots. And that became a deeply fulfilling experience for me. And then I did that at several other business schools. I started writing about it. I started teaching classes about you. And that really brought me into the coaching arena where I could marry a lot of the strategy with the people's skills and the people priorities. But when we talk in terms of coaching and then further, my question was related to the leadership as well. 
So when it comes to work on coaching and leadership, would you like to highlight something on leadership in particular? Yeah. <laughs> well, to be honest, uh, I got a call from Penguin out of the blue and I used to write a column here for the Mint, Leader as Coach. And there, so they said it very nicely to me. They said, we have a lot of books in the market which talk about coaching. They give you academic models. They tell you how to be a coach. But we don't have, and there are lots of books on leadership, of course. The market is full of some fantastic books on leadership. This book is at the intersection of leader, leadership and coaching, right? And there aren't too many. I've tried very hard to explore how you, the leader, can be that coach, right? Yes, external coaches are great, but every leader should be that coach that, that can take others along in the journey, that can enable people. And when you do that, you become an even better leader. That's what the book is all about. That it's about uncommon leadership. It's about making others successful while you make yourself successful. That is the whole premise of the book. And that's really, I think, got a lot of visibility and fame. I've got, I got very fortunate to have some very um, senior leaders, some luminaries across the globe, really appreciating it. And this sentiment, I think, has also been very high because during the pandemic, you, we all know that, Every leader has had to step up to be that coach, to motivate people, to inspire them, to take them along. So I think it came out at a good time. It had all the right <laughs> sort of trappings. And uh, I, I feel a lot of people resonate with it, regardless of whether they're in the corporate world or uh, they're entrepreneurs or even students for that matter. How did you arrive at the title? Because it's quite a fascinating title, very interesting one, actually. And yeah, people, a lot of people laugh. Yeah, actually, you know, this is something which when I read for the first time, I felt like. So, what is that secret code would like to share with us? Yes, you know, that's interesting. Uh, it's a secret code, but it's in plain sight, right? Uncommon leadership is the act of making others successful while you build your empires and while you build yourself, right? That's what, And these people understand that it's not about just those billions or the numbers, but it's also about growing people. And these uncommon leaders do this through coaching. Coaching is that secret code that unlocks this uncommon leadership. And what is coaching? It's the act of enabling others through a series of non-directive uh, conversations. And these conversations are really about maximizing current potential and performance as well. Now, a lot of people say, what's the secret in it? You talked about coaching, but the, that's in the irony, right? We know that coaching is good. We know that coaching is the single most important factor that makes uh, that that makes an employee productive and more engaged. Yet, in survey after survey, you'll find that most managers don't coach. And those that do actually are pretty bad coaches. So the whole book really then talks about coaching and how coaching, uh, how coaching and the why of coaching, and then some practical examples, lots of stories from cricket, from performing arts, from movies, all of that, just to make it more interesting and palatable. Okay, okay. Just one more question related to coaching. When you're talking about the corporate coaches or you joined as an executive coach, when I compare it to that of the sports coaches, maybe a, a shorter version of games, maybe a football coach, maybe yes. behind the scene, there's a lot of hard work that goes on. We see the coach only on sidelines, but that doesn't mean that his job is only to stand there. So how it differentiates when it comes to a corporate coach, as you already been performing that particular role, and the coaches in the sport arena, maybe you can just tell us the difference and the ways they work. Yeah, so I think you're absolutely right. The principle is the same. In fact, the word coaching, when it came about in the 1950s, it was very interesting, the history. It's about, it's from a village uh, in Hungary. Uh, okay. the, like, you know, like the village of Cox, actually. 
So it was a carriage that they use in the British times. You must have seen those old fashioned things. It's about taking somebody from one place to another. Okay. And then uh, post the 70s and 80s, we started using it in modern day terminology, but for sports, right? Sports coaches, cricket coaches and football coaches, etc. And then it came to the corporate world much later. But the premise is the same, right? You take people from one place to another. You take them from where they are today and make them more capable, right? Now, the key difference is when we talk about the corporate world, we're talking about giving someone more skills, more capability, a lot more clarity and a lot of self-awareness. In case of a sports coach, there are two types. You could have the leader as a coach who's with you on the field, like in case of cricket, but there's also that coach who's off the field, right? Who's watching you from the sidelines and encouraging you and doing all of those things. In some ways, that's the external coach for us. Like football is an interesting example because actually it's the manager who really takes on the man uh, because the leader, the captain is on the field and he's also playing as much as you are. So he can't give you real time feedback, but it's the, you know, it's your manager who's starting, standing there uh, on the sideline and screaming and shouting and telling you do this better, do that faster. So there are those nuances in terms of the kind of sport you play and the corporate world. And think about the corporate world as leaders that coach and also external coaches that we bring in at certain junctures uh, in our life. Yeah. When, when it comes to the relationship between the world, coaching and leadership, uh, a good leader becomes a good coach or a good coach becomes a good leader. Is there anything like this? Or? My statement is you cannot be a leader without being a coach. Okay. So if you are a good leader, coaching has to be something that is should come to you. If it doesn't come to you naturally, you have to work towards it because you can't expect to lead people without being able to coach them and take them a notch higher, right? And this narrative has changed over the years. You know, in the late 90s, they started talking about the balance scorecard, that it's not just about the numbers. You have to look at the processes, the systems, you have to look at your people. And a lot of things started happening around then. Before World War II, we were, our, our businesses were a little more self-contained, right? In one country, you had manufacturing sales, etc. After World War II, what happened was that you got a little bit of overseas marketing, you had some, you know, you have some alliances. But now our world is so complicated, so complex, so networked, no leader can have all the answers. And unless a leader really leverages the intelligence of their people, really asks people how it's going, takes their opinion, coaches them, makes them more capable, that leader cannot lead. You cannot take that command and control style of the past. Today's world is all about collaboration. It's about moving from a world where you tell people what to do. Now you ask them what to do. That's what coaching is. It's asking, not telling. And I think uh, back to what I said earlier, you cannot be a good leader without being a good coach. Well said, absolutely well said. Uh, this secret code, when you're talking <laughs> in terms of secret code, because I'm still, I'm expecting some more inputs from you when it comes to okay. the secret code. Would you like yeah. to? So what is coaching? Let's let's talk about coaching a little bit, right? The secret. Coaching is um, this act of enablement, this act of taking people higher. But what do you do when you coach somebody? A lot of people ask me this question. And as I was starting to write the book, I was actually, to be honest, a little bit confused myself because I went to a lot of websites, right? ICF, this, that. And they say very big words. Helps you unleash potential. Untap reservoirs. Uh, something about ROI, but what does coaching do? What does the secret do for you? 
And that's the key we need to understand. When you coach people as a leader or otherwise, you do four things for them, right? First and foremost, you give them clarity. Like we talked about, untangling those knots. You form big, those knots form patterns and then someone can see a little bit more clearly. This is one option, that's another option. So people take the decision themselves, but we give them the clarity. The second one is capability. Capability is not just about building new skills. It's also about creating safe spaces for people where they can be themselves, where they can create, they can innovate, where they have no fear of being judged or penalized. That's what a good leader coach does. A good leader coach will really help you untap those reservoirs of creativity. Basically, it's not like saying, hey, Ruchira has been so good. She's such a great uh, professor. You have to teach exactly like Ruchira, right? When you coach, you let people find their own individual style. You ask them those questions so they can figure it out, right? So that's capability. And the third one, which we talk a lot about these days, is consciousness, right? Consciousness is another word for self-awareness. A good leader is a self-aware leader. He or she knows that, hey, I'm not perfect. There are things that I do well, but there are lots that I really could do better. And these leaders are not afraid to ask for feedback. And coaching gives you a lot of that, that not just the clarity, but also the consciousness, self-awareness. And the last piece, which I use a lot, especially in the context of women leaders, is confidence. You see, sometimes we know we are good. We know that we know our stuff, we are competent, we've got, you know, we've been there, done it. But some, we lose the confidence. We lose confidence in front of the camera. We know we are good, but we don't apply for jobs because we're scared. What if it doesn't work out? We don't participate in competitions. That's what good coaching does, especially in the case of women leaders, because it's not capability or competence. It's confidence that holds us back, right? So a good leader gives you these four cornerstones of coaching, clarity, consciousness, confidence, and capability. But one last thing I should say, since you asked me this question is you need to create a culture. So that's the last C, four cornerstones on a bed of culture. You need to create a culture of coaching uh, in any organization so people can coach and want to coach. Uh, you must be you know, since you see the world, you see so many colleges, you visit so many places. You must be seeing the probably the speed with which people are uh, you know embracing this particular thing. It is not uh, with the same pace. You'll find that probably still countries like uh, India probably this particular culture is yet to be adopted properly. Absolutely. And maybe when it comes to the uh, US etc., probably the culture is very well developed. Exactly. Uh, what difference do you see, and what do you anticipate when it comes to the Indian uh, context? How is it going to? Uh, I think it's a very interesting question. And I think we're making baby steps towards getting there. We still have a long way to go. And I think it's a lot of it, as you think, you rightly alluded to, it's to do with our own conditioning, right? Um, you ask a good manager in India and you ask them, do you coach? And they'll say, huh, I coach. But ask more and you'll realize when they say they're coaching, they're basically telling people what to do. That's how we've always been taught. In school and in college, those that are the best students always have the answers. Good managers always solve solve problems for others. So when someone comes to us, we don't have the time to you know sit and figure this out. We either do it ourselves or we just tell them how to do it. This is what made me successful. This is how you should do it. So our, our, our whole idea of what we think is coaching is basically telling people what to do uh, using your own playbook. And that's totally against the principle of coaching, right? Coaching is about asking, not telling people what to do. Now the Western world embraced this concept a lot earlier than us. 
then there is uh, the eastern other parts of uh, you know asia where there's still the guru and the sampai concept where you're supposed to be like a family member a guru guru so you have to tell people what to do and india also has some of that right we feel that people have to tell us what to do so it's a very interesting conundrum i think it's changing and there's greater under acknowledgement that we really need to make people think for themselves but uh, the pace is not as um, fast as one would hope but i think we are getting there okay okay in fact why am i asking these questions because orange city festival when it uh, cultural festival is concerned uh, and it is a festival there are lots of uh, you know professional and students they too get attracted towards it and i am sure that many of them are going to get a lot of insights uh, as you have been speaking to us including me i must admit that let's take a piece out of your own uh, you know the title of the book you talked about like i, I took too much of time on uh, secret code now my next <laughs> thing is the letter half according to you who are the common uncommon leaders and we want certain examples so that we can understand it better there are actually quite a few uncommon leaders let me tell you a few that i know of and i'm sure you as you think all of you will reflect and find those uncommon leaders in your own lives i'm sure you've had some of them so the woman who's endorsed my book and i'm some i'm totally a fan of her sheryl sandberg right she's the ceo of facebook and i think she's a completely uncommon leader she stands up for women and women's rights and wants to create a more equal world always supports women so she did not hesitate when i asked her to read my book and not to come and now to me being a role model saying something and doing it that's uncommon leadership right i don't know how many people do that a lot of us say things but to actually do that uh so and also i remember when uh, there's a very interesting story that when she joined facebook apparently she went to the desk of every single employee in thousands right and said hey i'm sheryl sandberg and that does it's a very small gesture but it makes a big human connection that's these people build those connections with people so you build that trust right from the start the other person i talk a lot about in my book is satyanadella right satyanadella again indian origin fantastic global ceo but he really transformed microsoft when he took over microsoft there was so much the culture was toxic everybody was pitted against each other nobody wanted to work there it had terrible ratings but he really recalibrated it and if you ask him in interviews what he did differently he says it was not my strategy or how i changed all of that which he did it was how he listened to people right now most people don't listen he took the time listen to everybody in the organization along with the head of hr and he completely reset the culture by uh, you know listening to them and doing things as per all the inputs that he got he built several excellence models he changed the whole structure that's one there's kiran majumdar sho who again i'm a huge fan of she again uh, has done the forward for the book how she is a self made billionaire and how she started out of a little garage and used innovation as a tool to really take people along in the journey we have so many examples we have some amazing cricketers by the way who are quite uncommon in their leadership and they're not necessarily the most uh, you know brash and the most uh, uh, flashy but silently and quietly they have built teams and teams that have won several matches okay uh... We have seen lots of leaders. In fact, recently I was going through one of the articles where five best cricketers have been chosen as captains. Five best captains, and probably three of them are uh, Indian. I could not read the entire article, but yes, three of them are Indian. That was something which I really felt. And cricket is as good as religion in India. So exactly. Got my attention. 
my 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 question is related to this only because clearly when it comes to the examples of the real heroes when it comes to the corporate level the connection to the common person it becomes a little difficult because they may not know the work what these people are doing they are definitely doing a great work so but but they can easily correlate with the examples and analogies and maybe anecdotes which we can take from sports arena say for example cricket uh, we would like to know more about the coaches and uh, the, the the leaders, uncommon leaders, uh, which uh, are in the Indian cricket arena, and we want some examples of this. Okay, so it's an interesting question, and when I was writing about this, I was a little nervous that people would get upset with me because, as you said, cricket is a religion in name. I wanted to talk about what it is that makes for an uncommon leader or a leader coach, right? And often what happens is, uh, whether it's in the sport or whether it's in the corporate world, we choose our best performer, the one who's scoring the maximum runs, making the most goals or scoring the most revenue, and we make them leaders. But if you go back and see history, it doesn't mean that if you are the best batsman, you will by default become the best. Uh, best uh, A best uh, batsman does not become the best uh, captain of the ship. And there are reasons for that. Similarly, in the corporate world, you have super high performers and they don't necessarily become great leaders. And there are reasons for it. One is that when people become larger than life, when they're so good at what they do, when everything is available to them, when they're blue-eyed, they become very entitled, right? So they think that this is all available to me and they forget their sense of responsibility. Because sometimes to be a great solo performer, you have to have ambition and also some amount of narcissism and go all out. But when you become that leader, you have to change gears a little bit. You have to be more empathetic. You have to take the people along with you. You have to ask more and tell less, right? So we see a lot of that in the corporate world. But when I took Sachin's example, it's different. In his case, it wasn't this. His case is different. We call it the capability gap. Let me explain that. Now he was so good, still is, right? Perhaps the best batsman, the best cricketer the world has ever seen. But if you look at his captaincy, those are the darkest days of his otherwise stellar career. And in his case, the challenges were slightly different. Firstly, he didn't want to get burdened with captaincy. The pressure was too much. He was he was very happy doing what he was doing, right? He was doing so well. And then we said, no, no, he's so good, we have to make him the captain, right? The second thing is when these people who are so gifted, when we give them this mantle, they benchmark everybody with the same yardstick that they have, right? Absolutely. They're so good themselves. They're so brilliant. They can't understand when someone can't get, uh, you know, do a shot in a certain way and why you dropped a catch because for them, this is a capability gap and they can't bridge it because they've always done everything intuitively. They've been so good. So they find it very hard to coach others. And that is the problem. It's not that in every case, people are entitled, but in some cases, it just doesn't work out. So we have to really nurture people. And even when we, you know, we, we make such a captain, we need to nurture him and coach him so he can coach others. We don't do that. We just assume that, oh, best performer, let's make the best performer the leader. And we don't coach them. So they in turn can't coach others, right? We have to really think harder about how we build the leaders of tomorrow. Right, in case of Nitin Bindulkar, on one hand, Matthew Adam says that, uh, who says, I think you have not seen the God, he plays for India on number three. That's a statement <laughs> that Matthew Adam made for Sachin Bindulkar. On the other hand, I still remember, because I've been an ardent fan of Tendulkar, uh, I've seen during his captaincy days, standing in the slip squad with his Panama cap and nail-biting <laughs> gestures are very commonly seen, a very common sign of nervousness that could be seen. 
probably uh, a god of cricket, but when it came to the other capabilities, as you rightly said, probably this was something which was becoming very difficult for him to handle. And that must have made some uh, impact onto his own performance as a natural player. He must have worked hard for this, no doubt about it. But uh, what, what he was, his role was, somewhere it was getting a hit. Uh, so probably, yes, absolutely right. Because managers, at times when managers are promoted out of their performances, without seeing the entire personality of the manager in terms of coaching and the other areas. So sometimes their the commands are very simple. I can do it, so you should do it, kind of thing. And yeah. that's, that, that's what I call the intuitive people. They feel that if I can do it, this is you follow the same way, you will be able to do it. Exactly, exactly, absolutely. Right, right. So, so when it comes to, say, Mahendra Singh Dhoni, for example, he does not hold the record that Sirvinder has. In terms of individual, uh, you know, as an individual, he doesn't, as far as bat is concerned or wicket keeping is concerned, record wise, he might not be having many big records as many has, but as a captain, he made a totally he changed the picture. When it Absolutely. Absolutely. So, the way See, you've not read my book entirely, but you know that what I've written in the book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to read it further, to be very honest. <laughs> Now, now taking example of Tendulkar only, uh, because there are many people they do cite and do, 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 they tell about the stories about how Tendulkar's one statement or how Dravid's one statement made them to change the stance and change things the way they were looking at it. Uh, what do you say? Is it coaching or mentorship? I think in his case, it's mentorship. We worship him, right? He. He's a, the darling of millions and why not? We're so proud of him. But coaching needs slightly a different mindset. Coaching is really about helping people move, as I said earlier, from where they are to a higher plane. And that's hard work. And to be fair, we put that pressure on him. Why can't we just let people be do what they thrive at, right? Even in organizations, when somebody is a great solo performer, can't we find ways to elevate them without giving them those titles and people? The trouble is in society, we have such a narrow sort of a dimension. We think growth is vertical and growth is equal to an enhanced title and more people. So it's a mindset that we have to get over it. You know, he he can give people advice. He's been there, done it, he's seen it. And a lot of people look up, look up to him as a mentor, but perhaps not a coach because a leader coach needs to have many more things, inspiration, motivation, constantly figuring out how to take somebody from point A to point B, how to build their capability, it, it calls for a different mindset as well, right? Which, as you rightly said, Dhoni had very calm, very even, even keeled, very unassuming at the back. So there are different strokes for different folks, and we have to appreciate people for what they bring to the table. And, and still, my one, one, one part of the question still leads to the answer, which I would like to remind that I said that coaching and mentoring. Yes, it's a very good question, and I get asked that question. So worthwhile talking given the audience that you have today. We use the term mentor and coach interchangeably, but actually there is a stark difference. And it's not to say that one is better than the other. I think they both have their place in our lives and we should cultivate both types. A mentor gives you advice. It's prescriptive. Typically mentors are older, they're senior, they have been there, they've done it, they've been very successful and they know you, they know you well, they care for you and they could come from anywhere. They could be your ex-boss, ex-client, could be a family friend, an uncle, right? So they're giving you advice. So this is how I did it. I think this is how you should do it. 
and you really trust them and you trust the opinion that they give you. So think of a mentor as someone who's watching your life from the balcony, right? And giving you that advice. Now, a coach is different. A coach is not telling you what to do. A coach is asking you. And a coach is typically in your current work ecosystem. Ideally, your manager, your boss, the boss's boss, colleague. But these people know the current uh, work that you're doing. So they can give you real-time feedback, right? Mentor watches you from the balcony, which is with you on the dance floor, right? They get their hands dirty. They roll up their sleeves. They tell you, hey, Ruchita, you could have done this better. I loved your presentation, but maybe you could engage somebody better. It's that kind of banter. It's that kind of conversation. These relationships are usually short-term, but they're very focused specifically on your work arena. And it's all about asking and not telling anybody what to do. Right, right, right. Uh, so, so can coach be a mentor? Yes, absolutely. You can wear different hats at different times. Why not? For different people as well, right? You can also right. introduce a third category, which I talk about in the book, a sponsor. A coach asks you questions, a mentor tells you, and the sponsor opens doors for you. Sponsors are people who are very influential. They're very senior. And they can pick up the phone and say, hey, can you get Prachi an interview? Can she become the head of the Orange City Festival next literature fest next year, right? Because she has she has so much capability year on year. She's been anchoring it, so they can put in a word for you. But that's the that's the kind of sponsor we want. We want mentors not to just give us advice, but to go the extra leg. So I tell everybody: create a board of advisors. Make sure you have coaches. Make sure you have mentors, but also get sponsors. Absolutely. Probably that's where the actual performance, the outcome can be seen, experienced. Right? Exactly. Very in the initial remark, I remember you talked about the pandemic. You talked about the need of the coaches and how are they very important in the current circumstances. Would you like to elaborate a few more things on that? Yeah, you know, so coaching has always been important, but I think it's become center stage now because our world is... Uh, are, is so turbulent right now, right? There's been so much uncertainty. The whole pandemic has been so open-ended. We very quickly or very swiftly pivoted to work from home. And a good manager and a good leader has to understand that everybody's reality is not the same, right? There's a very beautiful poem. We are not in the same boat. We're in the same storm. What I mean by that is some of us have very spotty Wi-Fi. Some of us have, you know, uh, we have big houses and some of us don't. Our spaces are different. Some of us have young children who are crying in the background. They're, those were barking dogs, like mine is mostly barking, but not right now, fortunately. But all of those things happen. And we have to re we have to appreciate people's reality. We can't just say, hey, get onto a Zoom call every half an hour. That's what good leadership is. And that's also coaching. When you see somebody on a screen and who's not participating in a meeting or not being themselves, you send them a WhatsApp message and say, you check in on them. Right, that's also coaching. When you appreciate them for what they bring to the table, when they understand their personal situation, when you ensure that you keep those interpersonal connections alive, yet you give them flexibility, that's coaching, right? And more than ever, people have begun to appreciate the value of a leader that understands, that is empathetic, that builds trust, that trusts you to do the job, right? And is also very resilient in the face of all this and gives you encouragement and motivation at all times. Right, right, right. Uh, in fact, this particular phase has changed things to a great extent. In fact, most of the organizations when, uh, during the COVID really felt the need of the coaches, probably 
we needed those inputs. We needed that kind of a support. We needed somebody to ask question, ask challenges to an extent where we are feeling totally deprived and totally down. And only we had few people around, only that made us to stand back again. Uh, in fact, one of the most important factors which I can come uh, can talk to you about you yourself. And the another thing is the part, the chapter which you solely uh, separate, uh, you know, chapter you kept on uh, enabling women leader. So, would, you know, do we need to coach the women differently, or should we shouldn't have that kind of a bias in anywhere? No, I think it's a great question. I think I alluded to that a little bit when I was explaining those four cornerstones of coaching, clarity, consciousness, capability, and confidence. I mentioned that in the passing. You know, I say that obviously the destination is the same. Men, women, both. When you coach them, you have to make them better than they are today. You have to make them better versions of themselves. But, you know, when it comes to women, I keep telling all the leader coaches, please really focus on the confidence factor a little bit more. Because despite all the success, despite all the achievements, research is telling us that women tend to undermine their own achievements. When they get fantastic job offers and they great, get great roles, the first thing, the reaction they have is, oh, did it happen accidentally? How will I do it? My husband will have to move geographies, right? They're very upset. Uh, they, they don't like to upset the cart. They don't want to do something that's already stable. They just don't have the confidence to think through all those options, right? Many of them even get uh, plagued by what we call the imposter syndrome that, oh, somebody will find out. I didn't deserve this. I'm not good enough for them. So more than ever, we need coaches that will help people, budding women, senior women, have that self-belief in themselves to go forward and to continue to achieve what they're achieving. Right? And as I said earlier, it's not competence, it's not capability. It's confidence that holds them back. So, and I think a good leader coach can change that. Great, great, great. Uh, it was really nice interacting with you. But before I wind up, I have a few more questions to ask in terms of the book. It was launched in April 2021. How is it doing? What is the response? Yeah, so it was an interesting story. Yeah. The book was ready for a while <laughs> last year. And uh, first, Penguin used to keep calling me all the time. Kabori ready, all of that, cracking the whip on me nonstop. And then in March, everybody stopped calling me. So I got very nervous. I thought they'd changed their mind. But of course, COVID happened, all the bookshops had shut. So by December, we decided to uh, you know, go back to the book. And we added a lot of chapters, by the way. In fact, we rejigged the chapters on online coaching, virtual coaching, which didn't exist. There was no COVID. The world was a different place. So when the book released, it has released in phases. It started in India in February. And then we released it globally in the US and Europe and other places. It was number one in France, first time a non-French book for like 10 weeks. INSEAD has brought it as part of their leadership curriculum. And the last to release it, my hometown, is actually Singapore, which was in the summer of this year, mm -hmm. uh, where it got to the bestseller quite quickly. But let's just say different geographies, different reactions. But what I think I find most fulfilling, and I think Prachi will appreciate it, is when I get 21-year-olds write to me from Saharanpur. I have, I have a medical student in Mexico who wrote to me. I have someone in Chicago who writes to me. I have entrepreneurs who write to me. And what makes me happy is that everybody can relate to the book. It's not about the corporate world, right? It's really about enabling. It's about taking others along. And the whole essence is that when you shine the light on others, you shine even brighter. When you elevate people, you go even higher. And if we can all imbibe that as a life skill, coaching, I think we'll all be better human beings and better leaders. 
Right, right. In fact, these these words were very essential. Reason being, as I said, that Orange City Literature Festival is definitely endorsed and uh, seen by many, attended by many, and mainly they are students, they are professionals, and definitely people coming from literary world. Their interests and hobbies are lying there. Uh, so definitely they are going to get immensely out of what uh, you stated, you conveyed it to us. And it was very interesting. It was very vibrant and uh, really uh, energized us and enlightened us as well. So I really would like to thank you. Uh, Orange City Literature Festival is definitely going to be a platform for uh, you know, in, in next years also uh, to come. I'm sure that we would like to see you again in yet another book maybe yet another work in literary area. <laughs> definitely would like to look forward for and we wish you best luck for this particular book and for all your future endeavors right thank you very and, much thank you for including up, i just would like to take this opportunity as we are sharing screen with you me prachi and you and the orange city logo i would like to have a uh, modern day selfie where i would like to click all of us and then definitely I'll share <laughs> with you do you want the book or just me? Uh, no, we want book as well. <laughs> book and you both. So just allow me a minute. Sure. I will stop smiling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please, Praji, please smile. And your book will smile in the, <laughs> in, in the marketplace. <laughs> right. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. I'll be sharing it with you for sure. Uh, with thank Prashant, you right? And thank you so much. It was wonderful talking to you. And uh, thank you for joining us and looking forward for more such interactions in future calls. It's lovely to meet you, Sushar. Please let's stay connected on LinkedIn or otherwise. And all the best, Prachi. I hope you do become whatever you want to be. Sure. At the outset, I would like to thank Ms. Rujira Chaudhary and Mr. Tushar Mule for joining us today. We wish we get to hear you both again and be equally enlightened as we all are today. And for my dear massive audience, I am sure that after witnessing this conversation, you all are taking home an enriched version of yourself, just as I will. Thank you for joining us today. Until I see you again, this is Prachi Chandekar signing off. Thank you so much. Thanks, Prasad. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. See you. Beyond.